Hey everyone, welcome to the Cadence Church Podcast. Our passion is to help you become who God has created you to be. If you'd like to learn more or support this ministry financially, you can visit us at cadence.church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. So let's go ahead and jump into the message. On and off for about three to four months. And I would highly encourage you, if you haven't seen this, go to our website. We are starting 21 days of prayer and fasting next Sunday. You can do three days. You can do 14. You can do 21. You could skip lunch. You could do, just do something to step into this year saying, I'm committing my family. I'm committing this year to God. Before I get my plans, before I get my visions, before I try, I'm going to commit this year to God. There's a few specific burdens that have been placed on me that I'm going to be praying to God for over these 21 days. You can go to our website. You can learn about fasting. Uh, we'll even put a, a video on there that teaches you about biblical fasting. But here he is. He's praying. And you would think this would be easy, but there's one issue as we go further in this chapter. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant. So he's reminding God of his position with him. And to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So here's the catch, is that this man was the king of Persia. And King Artaxerxes, I tried all morning to pronounce that right. I, will, I don't know if I'll ever get it right. But he, was, he, was, he ruled with an iron fist. He was, he, was, he was thorough in his dealings with people. And it wouldn't be a big deal if, unless you understand Nehemiah's position with him. He was cupbearer to the king. Most of us don't know this, but let me, let me say it very bluntly. This guy knew he did his job well if he drank poison before the king drank it. You get it? So that's how disposable this man is in the kingdom of King Artaxerxes. He is disposable. He is likely, um, he can't reproduce. Like, that's too, that's too much in church. Okay, don't read Song of Solomon. There's a lot of stuff that's like Jerry Springer in the Bible. But he, was, he, could, they, he couldn't re- reproduce likely. He was cupbearer. So if he, guess what they do if he, if he dies from poison? They just get another cupbearer. I mean, he's disposable. He has been in exile. He doesn't know a lot of his family's history or, or the generations. But he has enough scripture in his heart, as we're going to see in, in his prayer in a moment, that he knew where to turn when the walls in his life were broken down, when the walls in his people, the people of God's life were broken down, he knew what to do. And it says, there's a problem. I love this. I, when you read this, it's just, it just separates. It's like, uh, like, I imagine he's sitting there around with family members. I don't know if he had grandkids, obviously, but, you know, his family's grandkids, and they're sitting by the fire, and he's telling this story. He's like, but uh, I was, I was cupbearer to the king. Wait a minute, so you got a burden, you might be a leader, you might have influence, resources you certainly do not have, and people you certainly do not have. And this is where this story starts, is that the people of God had gotten so far away from God that their walls had broke, that the temple that God had spent generations to build was now all destroyed. And this resembles not just something to us, and that time, but it was very clearly to us, we know the Bible says that we are his temple. You can go read 1 Corinthians. We are his temple, that, that God dwells not in buildings, he dwells in people. 
So there's a spiritual comparison of the walls being broken down. And so let me ask you this question. Do you think it was God's will for the walls to be broken? Do you think it was God's will to have a place of worship in the heart of people and to allow the things around us to be broken down so that the bad could get in and contaminate? Do you think that was God's will? Now, why would God allow that to happen? What's the spiritual comparison? This isn't full, but it, it, it is a piece of it. See in Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. You go all the way to Galatians. One of the fruits of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, one of them is self-control. The ability to keep out what contaminates what God has put in you. The calling that God has given you. That, that when your walls are broken, maybe, maybe there's some walls in your, in your life that you've looked over this past year that you've ignored that are broken down. The ways that you manage things. Maybe you manage some relationships in a certain way. Maybe some habits you haven't kicked. Maybe some addictions you have that are just underneath. Some, maybe some anxiety that's underneath the surface. You have some walls that are broken down. And this isn't just a self-help. This is biblical, is that when God says that we have not been given a spirit that is fearful, but a spirit that has power, love, and self-control, this is more spiritual than anything, is that God is trying to build temples on the earth to facilitate his presence, his love, his grace, his kindness. But when your walls are broken and you have no self-control and you're letting anything into the filter of your heart, you are a vessel that the Bible would say worthless, fit not for use, that you are a useless vessel. And so what does it look like for us to rebuild our walls? Today we're going to study what do we do when we lose our way. And so first we're going to figure out why did they lose their way. Number two, we're going to figure out what happened when they lost their way. And then finally, how did Nehemiah restore them to God's way? So number one, why did they lose their way. We're going to see this again in his, his prayer that begins in verse 5. He says, of 5 and 6, But I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, and my father's family have committed against you, God. We have acted very wickedly towards you. Don't you love that? That when something bad happened in his life, he didn't point the finger at God. He pointed the finger at himself. He said, we, including me, I have acted wickedly. When something falls apart, it's not the devil. It's not God. Sometimes it is. Sometimes God will allow things to happen like in this instance. But the instigator was their wickedness. And so he says, we have acted wickedly. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. We have not done this. We have not obeyed. Don't miss that word. They were from nations, which the Lord had told Israelites. You must not intermarry with them. Now, this is 1 Kings 11, 2. I'm going to tie these two together in a moment. 1 Kings, the second part. Because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And so I want you to see these two texts in a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it here for a second. So what he's saying is we have not obeyed you. So how did they lose their way? Why did they lose their way? It's very simple. They strayed and they disobeyed. So first they strayed, first they drifted, then they disobeyed. Those are, those are crucial because 
first you get, it's not the black and white that necessarily gets us in trouble. It's the gray areas. It's the spaces in our life that are so small, so incremental, the things that others would dismiss, the things that we might dismiss ourselves. It's the gray areas in our life that cause them to stray from God and eventually disobey God. Now think about all throughout Scripture. How did Adam and Eve sin against God? They strayed, they listened to the lies of the enemy, and then they disobeyed. It was a progression of events. And then think about Lot. Lot stayed right near Sodom, and he stayed right there, and it says that he slowly started to stray into their land. That when his family came back for him, he was in their land. So he started close, he got too close, and he ended up in a place he didn't want to be. Well, how did Judas betray Jesus? He strayed. He had to get away. He had to get away from him to get tempted by money, the lure of money, the lure of power, to eventually disobey, to commit the sin. And it's not just them. It was, it was like this text says, it was Solomon. So David goes to build the temple, and God says, there's too much blood on your hands. You're not going to build the temple. Your son is going to build it, which is such a beautiful testament to the fact that God doesn't care what you do as much as he cares who you are in the process. So God wasn't as concerned about the temple. He was concerned about the purity around building it and the people that would inhabit it. He cares about what you, or who you are more than what you do. So he hands it off, and Solomon begins to build the temple. Now, in this text, it says that God comes to Solomon, and he told him, he said, do not, do not marry the women that worship other gods. Don't even, don't even flirt with it. Don't even get close to it. Because if you do, they will surely not just cause you to stray, they're going to cause you to disobey, to turn your hearts after their gods. So he starts to intermarry, and it says that at this point in 1 Kings 11, that's when God tells Solomon that the kingdom has started to fall. And this is now for 14 generations. They're going to go through this pattern because of his straying and because of his disobeying, that now they're going to break. And that's why we see in uh, 586 B.C. that Jerusalem officially falls and they're scattered. That they're scattered. And how did it happen? It was small, it was incremental, it was the things that people would easily dismiss. Now you may know this story, this, uh, you may remember this story, a devastating thing that happened that took place in 1986. Um, uh, you might remember this. It was uh, the liftoff of the space shuttle Challenger. And the space shuttle Challenger was going to take off and was going to lift off. It had an intended purpose, an intended design. And as it lifted off, it fulfilled its created purpose. It did what it was designed to do. But it only did it for 73 seconds. And then it exploded. And there was destruction. And as they went back and they looked through the paperwork and they looked through the study, they found that a few of the, the people working on this had let management know, informed management, that some of the O-rings, the small, easily to dismiss issue, were too cold. They were too cold, so they were not going to work to be able to stop the gases from getting in and causing an issue. And it said that they dismissed it. Management dismissed it because it was within the one in one hundred thousandths chance of failure. They dismissed it because it was too small to worry about. Think about the parallel. Is there an area in your life that is so small that others would easily dismiss it as not being an issue? Is there an area of your life 
that your spouse, those closest to you, that's a gray area, you know the Lord is telling you to stop doing it, to stop flirting with it, to stop getting close to it. Because eventually it's going to turn your heart from your spouse, it's going to turn your heart from Christ, it's going to turn your heart from the ways of God. Is there an area of your life that you know it's, it's in a gray area, no one can call me out on this, no one can speak to this, no one can address it, because it's so small, it's so incremental, but God knows it's going to lead you astray. Or is there something in your life, let me say it this way, that you know you need to start doing that is so small, so incremental, so valuable to the kingdom of God. There's got to be something in your life that you know God is speaking to. There's got to be something that if you feel like God is silent in your life, it's likely because you began to dismiss that small voice, that small whisper. You've dismissed it. You've pushed it aside. You've stopped listening to it. You've stopped listening to the fact that you need to pray for your spouse. You've stopped listening to the fact that you need to get to, don't let me step on your toes, you need to get to bed on time so you can wake up on time and read your Bible and pray to God. All right, we're going to move on. We're not going to step on anyone's Netflix TV shows or I'm not even going to name them. All right, so why did they lose their way? They strayed and they disobeyed. Well, number two, what happened when they lost their way? What happened when they lost their way? The story continues. And one, three, he, he, when they come back, they bring this report. It's very simple. They said to me, they said to Nehemiah, those who survived the exile, they're back in the province, and they're in great trouble, and they're in great disgrace. That they're, that, that they're in great trouble and disgrace. And we understand from this story we know, why they, we know why they stray, but, but at the root of it, what it was, is that they grew so entitled, expecting God's blessings to continue to flow in their life. That they had gotten so comfortable, so entranced with the ways of the world that God had continued to protect them and cover them and bless them. And if you go and read Nehemiah 8 and 9, you're going to see how God constantly took care of his people despite their failure. They became comfortable with God's blessing, and they never expected that they had to do anything with this. Let me say it this way. So they, for generations, they never built the temple. They had no sweat in the game. They, they had no need to, to, tr- to trust God. And I, if I could be so frank to say it this way, I think we live in a, um, an area in the world that it's really easy for our faith to grow cold, stale, and stagnant. Because we've lived in such a blessed season. There is not another time in history, despite what we feel, there is not another time or space and place in history that has lived under this much blessing. And now, some of you know, depending on where you land, some of this stuff, the soil can be a little shaken up right now. And I think that's why a little, there's a little bit of a need. We're going to turn towards God or we're going to turn towards fear. We're going to trust in God or we're going to trust in fear. But eventually what happened when they lost their ways, they got comfortable. They got sidetracked. They got, they got lulled to sp- sleep, let's say. And so the Israelites got comfortable and they expected God to keep blessing them. And Jesus is going to share a parable, a story of the prodigal son. Many of us have heard this. And I don't know if there's a better person that personifies who Israel is than the prodigal son. It says of the prodigal son, if you don't know the story, that his father was wealthy, had some land, had some space. He had two sons, one that was really good at working, really good at being obedient. But his heart was cold towards God, which 
that's a whole other message for a whole other time, is that you can do things for God, never doing them for God, always doing them for yourself because you're afraid of losing said blessing, but never understanding that it's his, his grace, his forgiveness that allows you to receive it in the first place. The other son, on the other hand, the prodigal, didn't like the way of his father's timing with his resources and didn't like his father's management of his resources. So he took it in his own hands to say, God, I, or Father, I just want mine, what is mine, and I'm going to go out. And it says that he goes and does things the way that he wants. He strays and he disobeys. And watch where he ends up in Luke 15. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. See how bad it got? He lived in a palace. He lived with his father. He had everything taken care of. But because he was uncomfortable with his father's timing and the father's management of his life, he went out his own way. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he went back home. When he, when he came to his senses, he went back home. So what happened to the prodigal son? What happened to Israelites? What happens to us is that when you stray and obey, you end up becoming a person you didn't want to be. And you end up in a place or a lifestyle or a season that you never desired or hoped to be. You become someone you didn't want to be, and you end up in a place you didn't want to be. That's what happened when they strayed and they disobeyed, is they got to a place where their walls had fallen. They got taken out of their, their land, the place that they could honor God, and they started worshiping gods. They started doing things. They started being subject and oppressed to people that they never were designed to live with. And so that's what happened when they, when they followed God that way. That's what happened in their life is that they left God, that they, they mismanaged God's blessing in their life. And that, let me say it this way, that our vision at Cadence is to help people find life in Christ one step at a time. So that in your life, you are always designed to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. But you may have let some walls fall in your life and you are stuck you can't even get a clear relationship, a clear communication line with God. You have let walls fall in your life. Or maybe you're stuck in trying to find freedom. You can't get over a certain habit, ideology, thinking, fear, whatever it might be. And you're stuck. You're stuck. Your walls are broken. You don't even care about your purpose. You can't even get your home in order. You can't even think about making a difference because everything is broken all around you. The self-control, the peace, the love, the joy, all of it is shattered. And I want you to know this, if the story of the prodigal illustrates anything, it's that you can always come home. It's that you can always run back to the Father, and he will receive you with open arms and give you everything you were created to receive. Come on, if you believe that, let's just give God praise right there, that we can receive his grace. So, so what happens is they became someone they didn't want to be, and they ended up in a place they didn't want to be. And finally, is how did Nehemiah find his way. How did Nehemiah find his way? Well, we're going to see this at the end of his prayer, or in the middle of his prayer, actually. Uh, uh, Nehemiah 1, 8 through 10, he says this, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Now, this is, this is years ago. This is probably 2,000 years before Nehemiah. Um, Oh, no, Moses, uh, 1,500 years. Uh, Saying, 
And get this, is he reminding God or is he reminding himself? If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. You'll become a people you were never created to be. But, but if you return to me and you obey my commands, then even if you're exiled, even if you become someone you didn't want to be, you end up in a place you were never designed to be, even if that happens and you go to the farthest places, I will gather you. I will make you a people again. And there, then from there, bring them to the place. I'll get you back to your intended place of worship. I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So even if you do all of these things, if you stray and you disobey and you run from God, when you lose your way, when you've strayed and you've disobeyed, what do we do? How did Nehemiah find his way? It's very simple. Is he prayed and then he obeyed. So if straying and disobeying got him disconnected from God, it's prayer and obedience that brings him back to God. And prayer and obedience, they work hand in hand. It's like a right hook and a left hook. That this is how you fight the enemy. This is how you fight sin in your life. This is how you fight drifting from God is you pray to God and you obey God. So what do you obey God? This is massive in the book of Nehemiah is that the reason they had abandoned God is because they were cut off from the source of his word. So what do you obey? You obey the instruction that God has given you. You obey what God has given you, that God has poured this into our lives. And we, we become comfortable. We become entitled. We think we know what's best. We, we, we find ways to live without God, but claiming we follow God. But how do we return? We pray to God, and we obey God. And there's a, uh, you know, this is, this is years ago, but I want, I want you to see a little bit more of a relevant uh, story of Nehemiah is that there was a man named George Mueller. If you have ever heard the story and you ever want to study what it's like to a godly missionary, study the life of George Mueller. In this instance, at least, is that George Mueller grew up in a Christian home and he went to Christian college and he would gamble the whole time and he would drink the whole time and he pursued, you know, dishonest gain. He pursued all of these things and he would make fun. He was relentless in making fun of Christians of faith, relentless. And it says that one of his friends invited him to a Bible study. He ended up going to it to find ways to make fun of Christians further. And he ends up getting saved, gives his life to Jesus, and submits his life to the word. And he goes back and tells his father that now he's a Christian and he wants to pursue and be a missionary. And his father takes his funding away from George Mueller's ability to pay for his school. And George Mueller says that I'm going to hold tight to the Bible and I'm going to trust God with everything else that I'm going to stay connected to God's word. And so what ends up happening is he goes back to his room. He lost funding for school. He signs up for the next semester. And one hour later, uh, someone from the school shows up at his door and offers him a job that's going to help him pay for his complete schooling. So he ends up going through college. He ends up graduating from college. And eventually he moves to London. On one of his trips, he went to London and he saw the devastation of orphan kids that had no homes and had no food. And his heart broke. He got a burden. So when he graduated college, he ended up moving to London. And he had a desire to build an orphanage. And the story goes that he would house and help and serve over 10,000 orphans. But one of the stories early on, before anything was known, is that he was sitting there and they had 300, get this, 300 kids that they brought into their orphanage. And one of the ladies that was working with him said to him, we have 300 kids, we are out of milk and we are out of bread. And he said, sit them at their seats and the Lord will show up. 
and he stands there, and you can read this everywhere. He stands there, and he just starts praying. And it says that a woman is uh, coming by, or a woman comes to the house with bread. She said, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it all night. I was just thinking and thinking and thinking about you. I couldn't stop thinking about you. And she shows up, and she brings out enough bread to feed all 300 kids. And then a milkman is going by on his normal route, and his wheel breaks right in front of the orphanage. And he says that all the milk's going to spoil if I don't bring it in and give it to you. That this is one of those stories that he said that he just, he, he felt from God I was never to go out and fundraise and do all of these things. I was never to go and try to get milk and try to scheme and work. I was never to do any of that. I asked God, I tell the people, and then God would show up over and over and over again. And so what happened is when the orphans would leave and when the orphans would move on, what he would do, he would hand them a Bible and he would hand them one coin. And he would put one coin in this hand and a Bible in the other hand. And before they left and before they moved on, he would say, hold fast to the word and God will make sure you're never lacking in this. And I think that's the story of Nehemiah is that they got so concerned with chasing the things of the world, that they strayed and they left. They lost their ability to pray to God and obey God's word. And I think that's our calling as Christians is that we have to turn our hearts back. And if I could encourage you, God forbid we lead our homes, we lead our people, we lead our businesses and our marriages in the workplace, that we do it from a place. If you're a Christian, without going to the word, if I could do anything in this series is get you to open your Bible. And I understand it can be confusing. It I understand it can be hard to understand. Just start. The best way to honor the life of Nehemiah, open the book. Read the Bible. Consider stepping into 21 days of prayer and fasting, even if it's for three days. Oh